Yes, yes, one, two, one, two. What is up, everybody? This is the voice of King Most. We got my man, John Riz, Stank Palmer, and you're listening to Opening Set, Season 3, Episode 2. Today's very, very special guest is our dude, Uproot Andy. And before we get into all of that, find us, Opening Set, on uh, what Spotify, Mixcloud, SoundCloud, anywhere you listen to podcasts, but for sure, subscribe, tell a friend, spread the word. That's kind of really how our show's been floating around, just people telling other people. And we definitely appreciate when you uh, you know send us a little like note and shout out. That's like always the best. Find me personally, King Most, under Instagram, uh, under Hey King Most, on Bandcamp, King Most, and that also goes for SoundCloud. My man, John Ray, is a producer extraordinaire. You can find him uh, on uh, see Twitter and Instagram under Stank Palmer, S-T-A-N-K-P-A-L-M-E-R, Stank Palmer. But, you know, during this whole uh, kind of hiatus, he's been making some really fire remixes that you can find under Bandcamp, under his real name, John Reyes. Good stuff. I, uh, I'm not exaggerating. Today's special guest is Uproot Andy. He's a mainstay not only in uh, Brooklyn, New York clubs, but you can find him literally all over the world traveling. Germany, Toronto, Switzerland. He was out here in San Francisco. That's how we were able to kind of interview him and uh, sit down for a nice, good talk. He is mostly known for his really awesome remixes, you know, doing music from the black and brown diaspora, and that's remixing Rihanna, Kendrick, Fania, et cetera, et cetera. But also makes a lot of really good original uh, music as well, which you can find on Spotify and whatnot. And in this conversation, Uproot Andy drops some gems on the whole kind of remix culture and how it kind of connects to DJs and getting booked. Our world of like the DJ circuit like it's worldwide but very local still like it's each party is thrown by DJs from the city who understand the community and who are like building in that community and the DJs are the ones who are booking the events you know it's not these like big concert promoters who are looking at stats or like what's the draw necessarily going to be I find like a lot of people are booking based on like what do they really like what do they DJ what do they play so I've been able to travel the whole world by putting out music that essentially most of the people that listen to my music are DJs themselves because it's essentially material for DJ sets. You see what I mean? So it's brought me into just places and communities that I just would have no way of knowing about, you know? So not only do I get to travel a lot, but I travel in a way that I couldn't as a tourist, you know? Like I go to, you know, wherever, like Colombia, and I get picked up and I just get brought right into you know, neighborhoods that tourists don't go to, you know, and and eat food that they wouldn't eat. And, you know, and just uh, I'm always there with the local people who are involved in culture, you know. So that's really just been incredible. So I've learned so much more. I mean, that's just fueled my love for music and culture so much, you know. So it's just a constant source of inspiration. And the reason why I really like this poll quote, because it really strengthens and highlights just the power that a DJ has if they're building their own scene. They're in the community, they're connecting with other, you know, music lovers and other DJs. And, you know, Upper Danny's case, he's also making remixes. And the same goes, not just one city, but in all cities. So if you want to travel and, you know, expand your horizons, you know, maybe connect the dots and figure out the actual people allowing you to go to these other cities as fellow DJs who have their own kind of scene and party built already. Also in this conversation, I love that we got a good dose of music history, also music theory. Uprinani also explains new genres in the club and how they're received there and also on the charts, which is really like it made me kind of think twice about things going on. 
And, you know, throwing parties where the music is the focus and that music isn't really pop or mainstream kind of ties back to what I was saying earlier about building your own scene. So the reason why I really like this conversation personally is that I got to learn a lot about, you know, not just music history that connects to my own kind of heritage, but also a lot of music theory, uh, which is something I like to study. As a DJ, I try to like learn, you know, something that's new to me inside and out. So it's kind of dope to have somebody that knows what he's talking about. And there's like a timeliness to it as well. We're all playing like Afrobeats and, and, you know, reggaeton and dance pop that's from the Latin world kind of connecting those two dots that it's not just this kind of fad it's obviously something that's been around for a very 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 long time so it was cool i appreciate it for sure and if you want to learn more about our guest uproot andy you can find him on instagram under uproot andy that's u-p-r-o-o-t-a-n-d-y find him on bandcamp for his remixes that we talked about soundcloud for some really awesome mixes and for sure find him on spotify because he has again a lot of dope original music with other artists as well all right here we go opening set season three episode two King Mo's Upper Dandy, and as always, John Reyes. Let's go. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the opening set. This is your boy, King Mo's. Shout out to my man, John Reyes, in the house, the uh, producer extraordinaire, making sure this thing runs right. Today's very special guest is... Uproot Andy. Yes, that is the voice. <laughs> <laughs> that is the, the the charming voice of our man Uproot Andy, who's here in San Francisco uh, for doing some gigs. Shout out to Sazon Libre. And we're going to get into some talks, talk about all types of fun stuff. You know, you're here every year, and this is like, I think, only my second time catching you. So, uh-huh. my bad. I apologize. That's all right. What you do is super interesting because I've been a fan of it. And it's really hard to be explained and kind of boiled down to when you talk to other people or when it's DJed. I think if there's ever going to be a person to kind of give it kind of a framework, it should be you because you've been doing it for a while and you're one of the, the lead guys. But before we get into all that type of stuff, we know you as a certain style of music. Mm-hmm. But what were your first genres you were into and maybe even the first genres that you started making or playing with? But yeah, as a, let's say as yeah. a teenager, what were you getting, what'd you get into? Hip-hop. Oh, you're a rap dude. Oh, uh, yeah. Nice, nice, nice. And we're yeah. about the same age. So yeah. what are some groups you were super into? I mean, you know, Tribe Called Quest. Of course, the, uh, the greatest group ever. I mean, sorry, first, first, first was probably like MC Hammer, you know what I mean? Because <laughs> <laughs> Bay Area represent Vallejo, California. Like, That's yeah, 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 yeah. But, you know, I was in Canada, you know, so that was like what was available to me. Naughty by Nature. Okay. OPP. That of was course. one of my early, early favorites. Uh-huh. <laughs> Dude, like, we're the same person, basically. Yeah, You're telling me. yeah, yeah. So Tribe, Naughty by Nature. But then, like, yeah. high school, Wu Tang Clan. Oh, okay. That was like my everything. Are you still like a big Wu-Tang fan? I mean, you know, I still love all that music. I don't like follow. Uh, <laughs> You're not getting an Inspector Deck album? You're not checking no, out? No, <laughs> We're going to get hate mail. I would though. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. No, like there's some hot Master Killer stuff. The fact that I said that in 2019 is kind of weird, but yes, <laughs> they still got some gas in the tank. So yeah. it was mostly hip hop. Yeah, boot camp and they're kind of reggae, hip hop. Stuff I loved that in high school, and then you know I ended up getting. I was into a lot of Bay Area stuff actually, like uh, hieroglyphics and a lot of like West Coast underground stuff, like what, Project Blow. Yeah, Project. Whoa! Blow. Yeah, yeah. No exactly. way. AC alone. What? Yeah. Holy <laughs> shit, dude! Yeah. I was seriously. We're the same person, man. <laughs> I feel like there's a show called Rick and Morty, and they talk about inner dimensions, and I think yeah. you're just basically the Canadian version of me. Like, we're both wearing hats, we're both wearing orange and blue. Hats? Yeah. We both have hats. Yeah, yeah. We both like soup. Yeah, we both <laughs> breathe and drink coffee. Yeah, are we brothers, man? <laughs> so you were into Project Blow. Yeah, definitely. Well, I would never have guessed that. In my head, I think it's strictly a Cali thing. Weed, burritos, and underground nerd rap. That's, yeah. that's our thing. I think Toronto, for whatever reason, had like a you know a love for that. There was like a nerd rap scene, <laughs> like a backpack rap yeah, scene. Yeah, no, sure. I call it what it is. 
I've been getting back, like revisiting all that stuff again with like fresh ears and a different perspective. Mm. Have you been doing the same or you're or? not as much? Uh-huh. No, <laughs> it's, it's hey man, I just keep it moving. Yeah, you know? that book of human language might blow your mind the second time, so yeah. or inner city grads or whatever. So, uh, uh, you, that was yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure, man. I think the reason why like Hyro and all that stuff gravitated is because. You know, growing up, I was like, you know, working class kid. So I wasn't like a wild kid. So I felt like related to those dudes more than the more quote unquote gangster rap stuff that I was also into. Yeah. Like, oh, these kids maybe grew up in the suburbs or, you know, maybe went to private school. But it was like, yeah, I feel I'm more in common with these guys than like too short. But then yeah. that's why I gravitate towards that stuff a little bit. So it just seemed like really creative and surprising. And, you know, like it was never like, uh, what you expected. They weren't formulaic. I was just thought it was really interesting because of that. Like the following a verse was like, you never knew where you were going to go, you know? So that's why I liked it. And it's funny because I think about it now, like hip hop for me then was like, it was all about the raps. Like it was all about the lyrics. I didn't think of it as dance music, you know? Mm-hmm. And like I used to buy records and vinyls and like I'd write raps and I had a little group in high oh, school. Oh shit. Do you know, can you <laughs> say the name boy. of your group? Uh, <laughs> Yeah, we were called, oh my God, this is going to go now. Now this is the first time I think I've ever said this in public. <laughs> we were the extraneous scatterplots. Oh, we came up with that in science class. Oh. Wait, is that, my homie. is that a good science term? Uh, yeah, well, it's a pl- graph. It's a graph. Graphing? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> like graph t- TI-85? Yeah, it's like plotting, you know, <laughs> the ones that were like, I guess, not on the like expected curve. Uh-huh. Where the extraneous, you know, on a scatter plot, this extraneous dots. I don't know. I can't literally can't remember. But uh, yeah, and our, our names. I was toxic. With a C or a K? T A L K. Oh wow. S I C. And then my homie was enzyme. <laughs> like, let me guess, enzymes. Yes. So we were all in science. On some side, we're about dropping side, you know. What I'm saying? It was the nineties. Yeah. Well, that. Thank you very much. Opening set. Thanks a lot. That was. That was. That's what we wanted, dude. Yeah. It was the nineties, and it's so yeah. funny because that. If you explain that to like young young kids that are into rap, like, what yeah. the fuck are you? Ta-? Well, probably the same response that. Yeah. But now it's just like, what are you talking about? Yeah. So um, you mentioned the whole boot camp click thing, and this is also an entry point for me. Was yeah, the whole reggae hip hop crossover, yeah. but also Toronto has a humongous Jamaican population. Right. So it was like half cultural and half musical. It was just in. The air for you that kind of got you curious about and we'll talk about labeling but non-american music yeah. even though they're american yeah so yeah i think caribbean music, i mean in general reggae i should say like even in america reggae is like one of the few non-american genres that doesn't really have to live in the world of world music like it's oh but that's reggae because of bob marley or whatever like yeah. people know that as a genre it's not just like other music it's reggae you know what i mean for whatever reason that kind of got accepted and yeah in Toronto there was a lot of Caribbean culture like always um, you'd hear like soca on the radio in the middle of the day wow because um, out here in California or at least in the Bay it does not exist yeah so, yeah so, so and for instance you know like I said I was a hip-hop kid but I had friends who were into house and techno and like big raves used to happen back then that was like the era of the rave you know and raves is like a big topic on the show it keeps coming up like yeah. every few episodes so, so like I, I used to date this girl and she um she would bring me to these raves because she was really into house and techno and that like mm-hmm. dancing to that stuff i like so, how you do a little movement too when yeah. you say that <laughs> <laughs> um you know which at the time i was not particularly interested in but i was like happy to go because it was fun whatever and i would always find my way to the jungle room and the jungle room at toronto raves was always the biggest room 
you know, I mean, I think after London, Toronto had sort of taken the flame of, of jungle and drum and bass. And for the same reason, you know, because of this Caribbean diaspora, okay. Jamaican diaspora. So that was always around. And like jungle to me was like, oh, this is this I can understand. There's, a, there's like an MC over there. You know what I mean? A dread. And it just kind of felt more like hip hop. I could relate to it more. Like it was more closer to the music I was used to listening to than than house and techno. Yeah, because it's a little harder. There's a lot of like those bootlegs with just like mob deep acapella over like a sure. crazy or whatever ninety BPM hip hop acapella over yeah. one eighty track. So yeah, I, I had a very 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 brief window of interest in jungle. It was all like yeah. stuff from like the hip hop like scratching like DJ world, not like you yeah. know other stuff. And I remember like we used to listen to like Shinehead who was like a, a Brooklyn dance hall guy. I don't know if you know Shinehead, but yeah. So like, I don't know, for some reason, like he was really popular. Like actually that was like way back. Like that's in the MC ham, like at the same yeah, time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, when Get a Red Hot Supercat came out. Yeah, it's like around like that 91 era. or something, yeah. yeah. There was for a really brief period that reggae and just reggae music was kind of seen as like just like black pop music. It wasn't seen as other. It was just kind of like thrown in and mixed. Mm-hmm. Same like house music was. And somehow army music is still always part of like the nucleus of urban music. So your boot camp click, your mad line, Rayvon, Shaggy, No Guns to Murder, then you get to Jungle. <laughs> and this is like late 90s now and you're, yeah. and you're still like a hip hop guy. Yeah. And then where do you think, um, was it kind of like, all right, I'm turning the corner a little bit more into... New York. It was when oh, I moved, you moved to New York? I moved to New York okay. in 2000. And you said it was like, clear, that was it. Oh yeah. And okay. Reggaeton started to hit. Like the first wave. Bro, real quick, I was in El Salvador and that's when, when Gasolina came out. Yeah. Every fucking place we go to, like to the restaurant, to like the taxi driving pass, like every family party, it was just like, yeah, it was in the air, man. You, you couldn't avoid it in no. New York. Yeah. You forget about it. It was just like immediate, like before Gasolina too, like it was, I mean, that was the obvious moment. That was the tipping point. But even before that, it was like, you know, I mean, as soon, you know, New York is like an extension of Puerto Rico. So like as soon as something's happening on the island, it's also happening in New York because people are back and forth, you know? So when I just started hearing that, I loved it. I mean, it was dance hall. Like I always say this, like I saw kind of everything through the lens of hip hop still back then. So to me, it was like in a way dance hall was like Jamaica's hip hop. And so reggaeton was like Puerto Rico's hip hop. Like, you know, I just kind of, I, I, I don't see it that way anymore, but at the time I did, but that's was my, you know, way of just kind of, uh, approaching it. And I just immediately loved it. So we would like pretty quickly, there was like a whole radio station dedicated to reggaeton in, in New York. La, La calle 105.9. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and, uh, it's not around anymore, but you know, and that was, and it was like a thing, you know, reggaeton was like, it hit with this, like, it was controversial. It was like people either loved it or hated it. Basically, if you weren't Puerto Rican, you didn't like reggaeton. Like people didn't like reggaeton back then. I mean, it depends, you know, some people loved it, some people didn't, but yeah, there was like a kind of like, you know, looking down on it. Oh, like it was thing. like, yeah. oh, this is that dirty, like favela yeah. music, all the thing we're talking about yeah. on the way over here. It's exactly. like, oh, that's that crazy. Yeah. Exactly. It's or a just class how, thing. Yeah. And just how rap got looked at. Oh, that's. Exactly. Yeah. It's, exactly. It's, it's almost like a rite of passage in dance music. If you don't get looked down upon <laughs> by your peers or old generation, yeah. then you're not really doing something. Right. Can I ask you real quick, what is your background, your family wise? Or? My mom is Jewish from Queens, New York, mm-hmm. and my dad is Irish Catholic from Canada. So when you were kind of like in these new spaces, were you, was it kind of hard for you to be like, okay, I'm this, I'm Canadian and my parents are categorized as white. I mean, did you get, catch a lot of flack or any pushback from people or? No, especially not, not back then, not at all. Like, you know, like first of all, hip hop already was not, you know, it's not my 
like I'm an outsider to that. I'm white Canadian. Yeah. I'm not even American. You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> I mean, I am, but I didn't, wasn't growing up there. So, you know, I guess I was used to uh, relating to music coming from the, an outside perspective, you know? So it wasn't weird for me to start listening to music like in other languages or whatever. And plus, I mean, I, you know, it's hard to remember all this stuff. Like by then I had gotten into like Fela Kuti also and things like that. Like, and I started studying music. I started studying classical music in school. Oh, oh, I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Is that I why was, you went to New York? Yeah. Yeah. Basically. <laughs> I mean, yeah. It's what I was doing. Yeah. Uh-huh. And then immediately, like, I had a lot of Latino friends immediately in New York. A lot of Colombians, okay. but Puerto Ricans, Mexican. And it was through them, like, I like I was saying, we'd just hear reggaeton on the street. And that's so why like, we'd start talking about it. And people would be like, oh, so do you like salsa? You know? And I was like, oh, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it's like, wow, salsa. And it's like one of those things where for someone like me, I already knew it was a genre of music and I, who knows when I first heard about it. But, you know, you don't really listen to it. Like it was just something that existed and you never considered it, you know, and it was probably on TV sometimes or like, you know, like something that sounds like salsa is like a sitcom opening <laughs> or something. You know what I mean? Ba, 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 but it was just something I never considered. And then, you know, having someone that I was like friends with be like, oh, you, you'd love it was just like, oh. And then I started going to like record stores and buying vinyls, old Fania records. And I just like tripped. Like I just fell deeply (laughs) for salsa because it was like, yeah, it was like jazz the way I always wanted it to be. You know, it was like dance more danceable and like loops and like darker and like aggressive kind of yeah and it was just it's so weird like we were talking about the way over here is that the world of like latin music and just african music it's huge it's like there's genres upon genres upon yeah. genres upon genres so it's a lot to kind of like get into and also depending on what part of the world you grew up in you're exposed to only certain things so my knowledge of salsa is like very kind of topical but i knew if i lived in new york it'd be way different. Yeah. Give me some of your, your favorites. Not like essentials, but like give me like two, three cuts that you were like, this is my shit. Like, okay, so well, I mean, just my first, my entrance to the whole thing was Willie Colon and Hector Lavo. Okay, know? so La Morga. And, yeah. Uh-huh. And I mean, like Awanile. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And uh, yeah, it was uh, Calle Luna, Calle Sol. Mm-hmm. Those were like tracks. And Eso Se Baila Si, which oh, yeah, I got yeah. a chance to actually remix. For yeah, Fania, for Fania. Yeah. Yeah, the event like years, years, many, years many, later. Many, many years later, which is why I picked that song because it was like one of the tracks that had grabbed me, you know. Oh, that's so awesome. Um, and Awanile had already been remixed too many times. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of people have touched it and yeah, yeah as, a, as a classic. Um, I think it almost like scared me. You know, <laughs> it was like too sacred. Or yeah, 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 you know, yeah. Whereas Eso Se Baila Si is like a kind of a bit comedic it's like a you know it's a bugaloo it's not that serious yeah yeah whereas Awanile is like spiritual you know santeria shit yeah <laughs> well the reason I, I asked you like specifically two Latin songs you like or salsa songs you like is because I think you are an entry point for a lot of other DJs that are coming from mm. club music hip hop and I think it's good that they hear maybe things that they should check out yeah because you know I think you are a touch point for a lot of people yeah. you know so huh. thank you for yeah thank I, you. <laughs> I, I've been told that before I've heard, uh, Yes or no, maybe? Okay, well, that's, it, it, that's how it is. That, that's what people say. Oh, yeah, I, <laughs> I like his stuff, and it's got to be open to all the other Yeah, kind of- I mean, definitely. People have definitely uh, said that they've discovered music because of, like, remixes I've done, yeah. like, different genres that they didn't know about, you know? Yeah. I would say you were one of the first, but um, 
Yeah, there's a couple other people like the Bursa Discos guys, which yeah. you you worked with a lot uh, yeah. in the early. They put out my first record. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, and I knew you did, and I, I recognize your name from that. And there was some other people, but I think um, Boima, like your yeah, your, Boima, yeah, your partner in crime. Um, yeah, you were a lot of touch points for a lot of people getting to this kind of mix of club music and Latin music, but yeah. done proper and outside of the world music kind of granola yeah. type of thing we're talking about. So you mentioned remixes, and, and I, I want to ask you so. Again, that's a touch point a lot of people know you as, like this awesome remixer, and you'll do everything from Kendrick to Yana to Fanya to unknown artists, quote unquote, to American hip hop years. And also, you've gotten a lot of success. Like, you've kind of traveled the world off of these remixings. Yeah. What are some other pros you think you've discovered along with being a remixer, quote unquote? Right. Okay, so you said one of them, of course, which is being able to travel. Like, our world of like, the DJ circuit, like it's worldwide, but very local still. Like it's each party is thrown by DJs from the city who understand the community and who are like building in that community. And the DJs are the ones who are booking the events. You know, it's not these like big concert promoters who are looking at stats or like what's the draw necessarily going to be. I find like a lot of people are booking based on like, what do they really like? What do they DJ? What do they play? So I've been able to travel the whole world by putting out music that essentially most of the people that listen to my music are DJs themselves because it's essentially material for DJ sets. You see what I mean? So it's brought me into just places and communities that I just would have no way of knowing about, you know? So not only do I get to travel a lot, but I travel in a way that I couldn't as a tourist, you know? Like I go to, you know, wherever, like Colombia. And I get picked up and I just get brought right into, you know, neighborhoods that tourists don't go to, you know, and, and eat food that they wouldn't eat. And, you know, and just uh, I'm always there with the local people who are involved in culture, you know. So that's really just been incredible. So I've learned so much more. I mean, that's just fueled my love for music and culture so much, you know. So it's just a constant source of inspiration. Were you traveling a lot before your career started taking off? No. Oh, so just you knew New York and Toronto. And that's basically, basically, I mean, I did a study abroad in Italy, and that was amazing. That opened my mind a lot at a young, impressionable age. I was lucky. Other than that, like, I wasn't, no, I wasn't doing, like, a bunch of traveling, really. Well, wait, there is another pro. I kind of think of it as two things. Like, one is a DJ thing, and one's a producer thing. And so as a producer, as a musician... What I like about remixing is that it allows me to sort of like really enter the world of a piece of music and it's like taking a class in that style, you know? So by remixing genres that, you know, I don't necessarily always know that much about to begin with, I hear something, it moves me, you know? Like, of course, I'm someone who I like to read about stuff. I like, I want to know I'm not coming at it blind, but I'm also not taking percussion classes for years to learn these rhythms, you know? What I'm doing is remixing it. And in doing so, I have to learn the rhythms. I learn the kind of idiomatic things that make that genre what it is. And by the end of a remix, I feel like I've come out the other side, like having taken a class in that style. Maybe give an example of this idiomatic thing you're talking about with a song. My first record that Barrett Discos put out was a bunch of remixes of like Colombian folklore music. And one of them is Petrona Martinez. I guess you'd call it a cumbia, but not in the way you would guys would think about cumbia out here in California. Yeah, no, it's we like, were so weird. It's so different. Yeah, yeah. It's like Afro Colombian folklore cumbia, way faster, you know. 
I mean, it's hard to talk about musical things, you know, it's rhythms and stuff, but just like figuring out exactly the swing, you know, like if I'm adding beats and melodies to a piece of music that has, you know, these rhythms on it, like I can't put them exactly on the grid if that music isn't being played exactly on the grid, you know? So I had to learn about what the swing of this music is like you know a lot of times with african music whether it's from africa or <laughs> the diaspora there's like a swing that leans kind of towards a 6-8 feel but it's not necessarily actually 6-8 it's kind of in between 4-4 four, four and 6-8 to talk about it in western terms by playing with it like see kind of where these beats are landing you know and then of course learning the rhythmic patterns the basic uh, the ideas and the different parts and how they play off each other and you know so it's just by remixing it taught me a lot about really musically what these genres are you know so when you went to school to study music would you say the academic structure you're learning as much or maybe even a little less or compared to this kind of like peeking underneath the hood of a car and learning it you know firsthand yeah um i mean that's the kind of thing in a way we did have to do in school but Studying classical music is studying the history of Western tonal harmony. So it's do, re, mi, you know, it's the way notes relate to each other. It's like harmonies, scales, chord progressions, and it's the development of that. Like, these were the typical chord progressions when Mozart was playing, and then, like, you know, it was very experimental to throw this chord in, and it's really about learning the way how that became more and more open over the years to the point where eventually in the 20th century you have atonal music, non-tonal music. But you don't really learn about rhythm. Even you learn about rhythm just in the sense of, like, what is the rhythm of the node? And I mean, yeah, like, there's a little percussion in, in European, Western classical music, but very little. It's kind of just accent. You know, so it's like in a way, like I learned about just, I feel like I learned just about melody, harmony, and like orchestral texture stuff. And it's really just one kind of music. I mean, it's a long history and I think it's super important. It helped me a lot. Mostly like the thing I took away from that is, you know, when I have an idea, a melodic or harmonic idea, how do you get it from your head out into the world, you know? And that was like, it's like learning a language, you know? And that's what that was. Well, I got to jump back because, all right, first you were a hip-hop dude, yeah. a science rapper, <laughs> yeah. and then you're a reggaeton salsa enthusiast. And in between, you decide to go to uh, classical music. So were you... Well, it wasn't in between. It was at the same time. Okay. So did you grow up playing instruments in a musical household? Yes. Okay, because yeah, I, I was like, wait, hold on. <laughs> I didn't on. play so much, but I, it is a musical household. Oh, okay. My mom plays piano. My dad was like a folk singer for a while. Wow. There was always instruments around that I would just like mess with. Did you show signs of being a gifted uh, I, child? I, would, I wouldn't say gifted. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for being honest. Interested. Okay. Like I would make even recordings when I was like 10, 9, 10. Um, Were you rapping? Yeah. Oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> but also like banging on piano and stuff. Just like a tape recorder in the room and then you just like do things. Okay. We'll return to the remix thing, but real quick. So as of this point now, is your family, were they like, son, don't be a musician. Don't do it. Go to law school. Like do it, whatever. We don't understand it, but yeah. Or how are they? Nah, they're supportive. My dad never went to college. He tried to become a folk singer and then found his way into television doing children's shows and like most of the music he does now or 
did after that was for like kids shows. Wow. So you're hundred percent a musical family. Yeah, I guess. Dude, that's uh, well, all of our guests that we had, I think most of them are like, they're always the anomaly of their family and not to say they don't get support, huh. but yeah, I think that's really cool that the parents are like, yeah, oh, your our son's a musician. Duh. Okay, cool. Go, yeah. go, go do your thing. Let's do your boot camp and study these triads <laughs> and, and go to New York and do all this crazy stuff. Yeah, they, they couldn't tell me no because that's right. what they did. So. so jumping back to the remix thing, so we know the pros and oh, yeah. but the cons. Yeah, well the job acts are sort of, like it's a similar thing like it's like a niche thing so like most of my fans are DJs which on the one hand has allowed me to, like I say, meet all these people and kind of like be involved in these music communities but on the other hand you want to break out of the bubble at some point, right? And, like, people don't usually listen to remixes if they're not DJs. They listen to their original song, you know? Not to say nobody, of course. There's, like, passionate music nerds out there that do. But that's kind of who makes up my following, you know? Yeah. I Actually, in the previous episode, I talked to a, a friend of mine, DJ Cutso, and he's, like, a DJ's DJ. I have, like, a, someone of a following on SoundCloud because remixes. And I've just come to terms with that's who listens to my music and yeah. buys my edits on Bandcamp. There's yeah. other DJs. But... Coming to terms with that came with, I'd rather have that than nobody giving a shit. Oh, like yeah. I would get random people in my life like, oh, I wish she listened to my music or he did. But again, you kind of see the positive perspective in it. So. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the end, like I'm just grateful that anyone <laughs> cares. And it's like actually unbelievable that like yeah. even that, you know, you want to talk about this today. Like it seems to me like... Like me? Like why are you talking yeah. to me for? <laughs> no, no. Yeah. And then there's like a personal thing where it's just like I started making original music. I didn't start making DJ edits till relatively late. Like I didn't even become a DJ till relatively late. You know, like I say, I was doing... Western Harmony classical. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I started doing, because of that, I started doing a lot of music for film and theater in New York right out of college. It wasn't till later that I started like, oh, let me see, let me flip this track because I like it. And, you know, and then I started getting invited to DJ. So just because I was buying salsa records, basically, and like merengue and samba and stuff. So I feel like my original instinct is to write music. I want that to be out in the world. Remixes is like, I love it. And I think it's even been important for me in my own like development. And I think it, it's important sometimes remixes push culture i think you know they like present new possibilities they give you like a new perspective on things but you know like i also want my own like fully own work to Mm -hmm. be out there you know so do you dabble in other music at the same time is it strictly you know what we can't really define this global diaspora music did you yeah do you on the like side? nowadays i just do yeah my thing is basically i just try and fold all of my like everything i love into whatever i'm making you know so I think of it all as one thing, I guess. Okay, yeah. so you're not just have you don't have like a folder of like these are my cinematic scores and there's no I do, but they're all from back in the day when I had to write that stuff. But <laughs> so that stuff is kind of on ice for now. Yeah, although I want to use that work, I just don't know how exactly. Yeah, you know? you'll but find like, a way. I have like melodies that I wrote 15 years ago that I think are still maybe some of my best compositions. You know, and why I, do you say that? I don't know. Maybe it's because they're old and I have like a nostalgia for them or something or maybe it's because I was specifically focused on melodic and harmonic writing then and now it's like all about the production and the functionality of DJ music of like making people dance that's something I think about a lot like the difference between what is the right thing to do with this piece of music if it's for the dance floor or if it's just to listen to and 
is it like how much of that is the same or not? You know? Yeah. Like when I make like DJ edits, it's like, okay, you gotta have the eight bar for the DJ. Right. And if there's a breakdown, it can't be too sparse because right. it loses him. It's gotta have something. Yeah. The, the chorus starts first and it's all very, right. yeah. If someone told me make a non DJ song, I'm like, oh, I can do it, but it, I, I don't have yeah. the muscles like you do to kind of be able to do both. So that's, yeah. that's interesting. And then it's so funny because I'm sitting here, I'm just like looking at you like, wow, you can do all this. Like, whoa, <laughs> bro, I'm like blown away. And I was going to ask about being pigeonholed. Mm. I mean, and I'm sure, is this a kind of a common reaction or are people always kind of pleasantly surprised to know you have this different world of talents that, or am I the only one that's, that is just gobsmacked by? <laughs> no, I think, yeah, people are surprised because I've mostly put out remixes. So people uh -huh. think, yeah. I think we know I'm what your next DJ project's going to be. Is maybe yeah. do a score or something like that. Yeah, maybe. I don't know if I'm ready to go back to score. <laughs> okay, something. I'll do it one day, maybe. But yeah. I'm just trying to make put out original music. Yeah, yeah. You know, tell me more of this product you're working with your friend from Montreal. I think this is a really cool thing. I, I liked it. Yeah, so Pierre Quenders, who's a Congolese Canadian singer from Montreal, he's part of this collective called Moonshine, and they do these amazing rave parties in Montreal that go all night. Um, they do the party Saturday after the full moon. And it's like SMS for location is the thing. You so know, for you our listeners, send, people have to like, text somebody to get an actual location. Well, that's a classic old school rave thing, right? Like that you would have to like call to find the address, you know, just because back when parties were, those parties raves were mostly illegal and, you know, in warehouses and stuff. So uh, they're kind of like bringing that back. They do it a lot of raw spaces. Now they've got a lot more attention and they're doing more official things, but that's how it all started. So they would invite me out to DJ, and um, you know, after playing a few times, me and Pierre decided to start making music together. He's a great singer. He's got a beautiful voice and um, sings primarily in Lingala, which is like the language from Kinshasa, and French as well, but mostly Lingala. So we just started working on songs together, and uh, they're I don't know I'm really happy with them mm -hmm. so. and you were talking about the process of doing these songs too it was uh, it wasn't over the internet which is maybe how most people do music nowadays yeah so like I would go out to play the party and stay an extra day and we did our first song at his house just like sitting in the living room cooking food and and making the song and then he came out to New York for the next one that's actually the song that's going to come out next month so we have a track okay this, yeah, this will probably air a couple months after, but okay. yeah, yeah. But still so it's going to be out already. Though. Yeah, we, this will be, yeah, get it now. <laughs> so get it now. Yeah. It's <laughs> called Bad Dolit uh -huh. on Moonshine, and it's, uh, yeah, Upper Dandy and Pierre Quenders. Okay, and it was a different experience because you guys did it in person. It was a very organic and yeah. natural thing. And does this person have like a, a background of working on music, or it's just... Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, he's, uh, he's got a band. He has a couple albums. Um, actually, I have a song on his last record. Oh called Tuba Tuba and it was produced by Tendai Tendai uh -huh. Marer okay I didn't you know, know from I... Shabazz Palaces oh okay word yeah so he's west coast uh, <laughs> I wouldn't say yeah Seattle, Seattle. yeah I don't okay for our Seattle listeners we have Seattle friends uh, no offense but yeah the 206 <laughs> is not the west coast they're, they're just Seattle I, I got I got love for Seattle but yeah they're yeah they're I don't know they're Northwest or whatever. Yeah. So they're Northwest Coast. Returning real quick to the party, the moonshine party, yeah. the whole SMS text. Yeah. I think that's really dope because, yes, they work in raw spaces, but I think it creates an urgency for people that really want to be there. Because you and I going to clubs, doing parties, sometimes like people are there because I heard it's cracking. 
Like, yeah. there's, there's gonna be a bunch of chicks there. There's gonna be dudes there. So let's yeah. go. And I think it's awesome that they kind of make people maybe go an extra step because yeah. they're the people that would appreciate the party and probably give you, the performer, more agency to kind of do your thing and more trust and all that type of stuff. Yeah, so, definitely. So when you travel abroad to other countries, um, well, let me say this. So I was talking to a friend of mine and when he goes to DJ in Brazil, he goes and plays like Marcus Valley and Astro Gilberto and the classics. And they're like, dude, we don't want to hear this. We mm. want to hear American hip hop or mm. your American beat stuff. Or it's like, you know, someone comes out here to the Bay Area and they do like, they play Blow the Whistle, I Got Five on it. It's like, yeah, cool, thank you. Yeah, that's on the radio every day. Yeah, or it's like, that's <laughs> kind of seen as played out. I mean, if you're really going to play Bay music, I really dig deep. Is any of that kind of in your thought process when playing in different countries? Or is it just, you kind of just do your thing and let it go? No, I mean, it definitely is in my thought process. So I definitely think about the local audience every time before a gig. But at the same time, yeah, I'm not trying to necessarily just do what I think they like already of course you know like it's always about I want to present what I do play like the music I've been working on and making and love and then find the music that will relate that maybe to a more local context you know basically all of our music is interconnected already so like anything in Brazil basically is somehow related to also North American music because it's all black music basically right anything in the Americas Caribbean Europe and Africa essentially right so you know just finding those connections and making it kind of make sense to the local context I think it's fascinating because yeah when I travel yeah, like you kind of want to throw a couple of joints to like the local things, but yeah, you don't want to pander and no, see yeah. that. So maybe give, can you give me like an example of this in action, perhaps? Let's say when you went to, um, let's say we went to Brazil. Have you played in Brazil? Yeah. Okay, give me an example where you're like, let me give you a little bit of this, but also <laughs> the Upper Andy American guy. Yeah. Well, okay. So, I mean, Baile Funk yeah. comes from Miami base. Yeah. Shit. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, not exclusively, of course, it, but, but it's there. Largely. So, from there, you know, you like the whole kind of regional dance music, hip hop fusions that come from the U.S., like the juke from Chicago and the, you know, the ghetto tech from Detroit, like Miami bass, like a uh, bounce from New Orleans, like all of that I find to be like really uh, related to the Baile Funk uh, scene, you know, so... Yeah, easy. So you'll take a, like a, <laughs> like, yeah, you'll play things that are like, oh, this is something that you could hear the baby or UGK rap or, but it's in right. Portuguese or. Right. Yeah. And then something I'll do down there, like what I was doing down there often was like, you know, I play a lot of, a lot of African music, a lot of Afro house and stuff. So, you know, to go from Bali Funk to like Angolan Kuduro, mm -hmm. which they have influenced each other a fair amount already. So there's like cross pollination from there from Angolan Kuduro to like more modern, like South African house is very close as well. So there's this, you know, you take these like single steps and get wherever you want to go. So I think one thing in particular I want to ask you is that you just did the rub recently. So, <laughs> and that's a majorly a hip hop R&B party. Yeah. So when you did that gig, were you like on a different like mindset? You're kind of smiling, you're like a, you're in a different <laughs> gear or like, no, I'm still going to kind of uh, do things that you would do overseas or how did that work for you? The rub. Um, or just a hip hop party. Yeah. Say, the well, the rub I just think of is like a New York party, okay. you know? Uh -huh. And first of all, when I play the rub, I usually play like the, the side room. The side room. Yeah. So it's not as much pressure to be like play these like hits or whatever. It's like it's always an alternative. So 
I feel pretty open to do whatever I want to do. And so I do a lot of reggaeton, but I do a lot of like New York, like classic old school reggaeton. Like Sister Nancy. Oh, reggaeton, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. 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 Oh, dance hall too. Yeah, yeah. The thing is about like dance hall in New York has always been a part of like hip hop party culture, you know, like Sean Paul and stuff like that. So, you know, I feel like that's always a given, you know. So, of course, hip hop and uh, reggaeton, hip hop, dance hall, some soca songs that I know are like New York. Uh, you know, melting pot. Of yeah, yeah, exactly. I try and make that, you know, they'll do the straight ahead hip hop. So I'd kind of do the other ones. And then of course I'm throwing in whatever I want to play at any given time, like, or whatever my, my latest stuff is, you yeah, know, like I always do, but yeah. those are the, those are the kind of uh, connecting points. Yeah. 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 Okay. This is such a weird thing. I had this thought. So if you look at the news, our fucking crazy time, the diaspora or like just Latin culture in general, we have literally kids and families being separated, stuffed into cages. And the opposite, we have a complete domination of like the radio pop charts. Mm-hmm. So it's like a complete, like things are going in like two opposite directions. So not to make a lesser point, but now when you go and DJ, it's a little more easier for you now to go like rock a more mainstream party. Cause like, Oh, I can run to the J Bobbin, the bad bunny, Azuna, uh, is it things are better for you now as a DJ perhaps or producer or are you still kind of fighting a little more of an uphill battle being an indie artist or what have you? It's complicated. Obviously it depends on the context, but okay. So the, the context is I'm at a mainstream party, right? Is yeah. That the, is that yeah. The, let's say that, that the premise. Yeah. It is easier for me now than it would have been then. Then that's being, uh, when I, I don't know, 10 years ago. Yeah. Cable, when I started started cable, yeah. yeah. Because I never was that kind of DJ. Like, I was never, like, a New York party-rocking DJ. Like, I literally came out playing stuff that, like, half the stuff I was playing people had never heard, you know? Like, so that was my whole lane, my whole niche. So I would have been lost back then trying to, (laughs) you know? Not that I didn't, like, have all, like, a bunch of hip-hop and stuff, but still it wasn't the jam. Yeah, you had a few fabulous songs, but not not, not the whole catalog. So, like, now, and interestingly, like, back then, you know, if I was at a mainstream party, had I played Gasolina, like, a lot of people would have been like, what is this? (laughs) And now that song is, like a guaranteed forward, you know? Yeah, that's like, it's achieved like Frankie Beverly before I let go status. Yeah. It's like you play that and just like, in case of emergency, hit that gasolina and did it, yeah. Right. So just from the virtue of being around long enough, I have like many more hits. And yeah, the music that I was like, often like trying to push on, <laughs> you know, people has found its way into the mainstream, you know, a lot more. Having said that, I do also feel like while more different genres are accepted in the club now than before, it tends to be basically the top five songs of each of those genres. And, you know, I feel like when I started out, we were in a particularly liberating point in music where, you know, the, basically the music industry was dying. And, uh, you know, like Napster and all that had like cut it down and like MySpace and then SoundCloud was causing this sort of democratization of like access to music. Since then, you know, we, they've basically uh, reestablished control and you have, you know, Spotify and um, Apple Music and, and all that. And it's returned to this sort of like more gatekeeper uh, culture. So in fact now, like a number one hit now is bigger than a number one hit was, you know, 
before. Like if you look at like what are what are the biggest songs? Like if J Balvin, you know, has a hit now, it's more likely to be huge in like all parts of the world, you know. So rather than the internet giving us access to all the culture of the world, which is sort of what it felt like was happening at that point, it's turned out to also give a big company or major labels access to any market. So they can more completely market a song or a, a, you know a hit. So it seems on some ways that there's like a narrowing. And like I feel now that like I go to parties like in Brooklyn and on the one hand you're like, oh, they threw like an Afrobeat song in. That's crazy because like that didn't used to happen, you know. But on the other hand, it's the same Afrobeat song. Which that would every, be... Like Drogba. Yeah, Afrobeat yeah, yeah. Or, Joanna. Like, you know, yeah, there's like whatever five big tracks of the moment are in reggaeton, in Afrobeats, in, you know, dance hall or whatever. Yeah. They'll get played at every kind of party, which is great, but there's not really like... Everyone's kind of playing the same song. Yeah, so. yeah. I think that's kind of like... I, I agree. First of all, I agree with you, the whole how the internet went from this kind of open... Wild West to this consolidation of power, which is so disappointing. Like, yeah. you know, I think you probably suffered the whole SoundCloud takedown of, of remixes. Or, oh, yeah. Or when you post like certain songs on your feed, it's you're in, it gets yanked or whatever. And it's, it's, it's maddening because it's so like, wait, what the fuck? I thought internet was supposed to be this open thing. Um, but when regards of just certain genres that are outside like the mainstream of hip hop or pop music, yeah, it's the same five songs always kind of, even with like R&B and funk, when some of those like uh, oldies or, like a old head classic set. It's, you know, then they're going to play Stevie, Prince, Michael, Frankie Beverly, one other thing. It's always like five songs. And then it's same, it, it's always weird how we just, Americans or many people all over the world have this habit just kind of like just skimming the top and never going deeper. Um, yeah, it's just this habit we love doing. Yeah. So it's, it's very bizarre. But yeah, the consolidation of power is something that I think, yeah, it's, I don't know what the fuck happened. It just like overnight, just, whoa, how, how do we just yeah. lose control of everything? So totally. and this is somebody that lives in the birthplace of tech and all this stuff. Mm -hmm. It's maddening as hell. But I wanted to return to the thing I mentioned, we're talking about pop charts and it kind of be dominated by Latin artists and what's unfortunately happening at the border and our administration's policies. Has this kind of given you more intent and more kind of like you want to represent marginalized brown and black sounds even more now? Do you feel they have more responsibility? Or how's it the current time shaped your uh, vision of playing? I mean, I've always felt that way. Uh, you know, like, uh, this is basically always what I've done musically is trying to, um, yeah, just kind of give shine to all this music that gets ignored by the mainstream, you know? It's depressing, honestly. Oh, like, yeah. um, say the least. Frustrating, <laughs> depressing, angering, and yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't like have any pretension that like, you know, being a DJ and playing music from you know Mexico or whatever is going to <laughs> necessarily help anything, and especially not immediately. But it's like more of a like constant, long term attempt, like at affecting the culture in a positive way. You know that, you know, like we make the culture we live in, you know? So I want it to be obviously like a culture that is inclusive and that people are, you know, have space to exist in and that are represented and diverse and creative. So that's, you know, I don't know if that's changed and, you know, as bad as things are right now, things have always been pretty bad. Yeah, you know? No, that's like, real. No, it's that's not, real. Yeah. Um, you know, deportations were massive even under Obama and uh, yeah. 
immigrants have been illegalized since or dehumanized. I mean, dehumanized, yeah, yeah. since um, longer than I've been alive. So yeah, and it will continue when we're long gone too, unfortunately. But yeah, yeah I just wanted to ask that because I think. You're right. Like we're not going to change everything immediately because we played, you know, Bad Bunny last night. Yeah. But yeah, it's about maybe recognizing and supporting and highlighting things that are kind of under attack. I think. Yeah, I just feel it's so yeah. weird that we are done with the charts and we done with the news, but unfortunately, for sometimes it's the wrong reason. It's. I it's, see what you're saying. Like, there's this sort of seemingly uh, dissonance between like, but it's just the right. That's just the polarization of our country, right? We have a situation where. On some levels, like we are more progressive now than we've ever been, and like culturally more accepting, and then at the same time more scary and authoritarian. Yeah, especially this week. I mean, when this airs, who knows where this will be when this airs? But this past week, we have talked about impeachment and collusion with the Ukraine. It's just like, what the fuck? Like people that were like hardcore patriots four years ago are saying, oh, that whistleblower is a snitch, and he's unpatriotic. It's like, wait, what the fuck? Yeah, Yeah, everything's upside down. You know, and again, by the time this episode airs, who knows what the fuck is happening? It could be a million things may have happened and changed, but we're still here. You mentioned the whole thing about. Uh, representing inclusion in, in spaces. Was that kind of the drive to start your parties uh, and your label back in the day? What well, tell us your, those kind of parties and labels, the names of them real quick. Give us a name check. Uh, well, Que Bajo was our main uh, thing. There was I was involved with the Duddy Arts crew as yeah. well. Uh-huh. Duddy Arts was doing an event called New York Tropical. Um, and they invited me to be involved a bunch of times. And so I would play. And then through that crew, I met Gecko Jones. And me and Gecko decided to start an event that focused on a little more on Latin, in particular, music. Gecko is Puerto Rican-Colombian, and he wanted to do that, and I was remixing a lot of stuff from Colombia at the time that he was like identified with a lot, and he was like, let's do a night that's dedicated to this. It was really a small night at first. It wasn't necessarily that we thought it was going to grow into something really big, but it did pretty quickly. Real quick, what years and what city? 2008. Our first party was the night Obama was elected. Oh, man. <laughs> it was Tuesday night. You just were like, we're having a party on Tuesday. Like, oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. It's the election. And then, so, <laughs> I mean, was it just like people were just over themselves? And, and it was, yeah, it was wild. It was mad. We, ha- we had like a, you know. Uh, you were the, watching it? The results coming in on the, like, projected on the wall. Okay. So this is about um, a little over 10 years ago. So what were kind of. But like, I mean, I'm talking like there was 20 people there. It wasn't like a. Um, yeah. <laughs> we didn't have any draw at the time. It, it was the first party, you know, and, and we started out doing like a little weekly. We just got, you know, we were offered this thing and we had to jump on it. But very quickly, like it became clear that we were like filling a space that was like an empty void before, you know, like people were waiting for this. And what know? was that void, do you think? It was the fact that Latin music was more than just reggaeton at the time, you know. There's such diversity in in diaspora music, you know. And so we set out to just kind of play all this stuff that was being ignored in clubs, you know. And some of that is stuff that was never meant for clubs. And we were, like, I was remixing it to, to, to play in club. And some of it was stuff that absolutely was, you know, made for, to be modern, was modern dance music, just wasn't getting played um, outside of, you know, those very specific communities. And we were trying to do something where, like, people from different backgrounds could come and you know put all these things together because they were all kind of interrelated but 
largely being ignored. And of course, like we also played reggaeton. Like it wasn't like an anti-reggaeton thing. It was just that that was like eclipsing everything. <laughs> yeah. Know? It was like you save that for yeah. the peak hour. It's like yeah. save that for two o'clock. Yeah. Like, yeah don't, not yet. Not yet. I'm trying to get these, you know, fine yeah. joints off. Well, but actually, honestly, like very quickly, it wasn't, it wasn't like that. Our party somehow, and I don't know if this was like something that at the time was more possible. I, you know, I, we just managed to build an event that wasn't about playing hits. Like people, we had kind of our own hits. This is your you B-side thing we were talking about earlier. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. In a way. In a I way. mean, it just, we, people came and they just start, I don't know, they trusted us. Um, and like over the years, like some, we would play certain songs that you never really heard anywhere else, but the, everyone at the party knew those songs then, you know, they became popular and they would react in this like really crazy way what were some tunes that really well like some of them were my like El Botellón which is like one of my first remixes on that from that Bersa record yeah just became this sort of like anthem at the party that's so dope yeah I always love when parties have certain songs they just ring off yeah so um, real quick were you remixing songs already to have them played or were you just oh I happen to have these joints in my stash let's well at the very beginning I had already I had started making stuff like that and then that's kind of when I met Gecko I would we, I was like, oh, this is what I'm doing. And he was like, cool, that's I'm, I'm going to run this. Build. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. exactly. So we were kind of talking about, you have, this, you have this crazy body of work and all this experience globally uh, or throughout the world. And you have this knowledge of like the diaspora, black and brown culture. It's, it's really, it's actually, it's really dope. I love it. But we were struggling on the way over here. Like, what do we hmm. define our sound? So if we had to like boil it all down and say, hey, what do you play? Uh, what, what's your style, man? And how, how would you describe it? Or Because yeah, I have a hard time describing it too. Like my, when I tell people, what do you play? I'm like, well, it's not reggae. It's not yeah. Yeah, reggaeton, it's not dembo, it's not Afrobeat. Yeah. Do you, it's all of it. Yeah, so yeah. what do you what do you tell people? Okay. I don't, like, yeah, I'm not going to be able to solve this problem oh, right now. Damn, dude. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck. I, was, anyway, I thought it was going to be you, man. That's why I had you on the show. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, what it is is, like, black diaspora music, right? But it's even more complicated than that because, like I say, like, I'll, you know, I'll play some Balkan music, I'll play some Indian music, but generally speaking, what ties the music of, like I said earlier, North America, South America, the Caribbean, Africa, and Europe together is um, African music because African people are the ones that went to all those places and well, stayed. You yeah, know? they got brought there. Yeah, well, <laughs> well both. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. You know, so, uh-huh. um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you see, I call it, like, you said African diaspora music. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, I mean, they were in Europe, though, before even, you know. That's right. Like, Spanish music was alre- is already, like, deeply, like, affected by African music before, yeah. you know, before it even goes to the Caribbean, you yeah. know. And so. did you discover all this stuff just reading or just learning or just Because, like, you have this academic background. Did it kind of seep into your like, love of history and, and music? Or? Yeah, maybe, but I, sometimes I wish there was more to read about some of the genres that I love. Like, there, I don't, there hasn't been, like, that much scholarship. I mean, I was saying people like Chief Boima. Yeah. Uh, Boima Tucker, yeah. his real name. Yeah. Uh, Who, as uh, a writer. Yeah, of, um, like, in his website. Of Africa as a Country, uh, you know, done, does interesting writing about this stuff but like yeah like this newer genres is not oh and of course jace clayton who's uh dj rupture he founded duddy arts but there's not that much at least that i know about scholarship on a lot of these like younger genres that i'd love to like 
dig into, but I don't feel like it's my role. I feel like I need <laughs> <laughs> it's hard enough to get the music I'm trying to make done. Yeah, I know. You got you got a lot on your plate right yeah. now. Yeah. I, so global bass. Yeah. Yeah. So what, okay. Yeah. Sorry. So we got sidetracked. So, um, yeah. I don't know. I, I, I don't have a name for it. If I did, I would I would have been trumpeting it yeah. years ago. Yeah, you would have just t- um, trademarked it and all that stuff. Um, yeah, I think I feel like Boy McCall's it Black Atlantic music. I fuck with that. Because yeah. also I think that name would like would kind of make people think like, oh, this sounds interesting. Or they'd be like, oh, that sounds weird. I'm not going to go to that. Which yeah. is good. Don't don't come to the party. We wouldn't, we wouldn't right. want you there. So. Well, you know, like when, I don't know, it's interesting. How do these genres names really stick? You know, like <laughs> Some guy on Salsa it. was definitely a marketing term, you know? Yeah. Like, but it's interesting. Like on some level, it's not, it's not a genre. That's the thing. Like all yeah. of these, all the music I'm playing as a DJ mostly belongs to its own genre in some locality, you know? Um, yeah, maybe my thinking is wrong. I'm, I'm assuming there's a genre. It's not a genre. It's a sound or it's a feel. Yeah. Or it's a, a, yeah. I mean, in the salsa example, because I used to wonder if that was going to happen to quote unquote global base, global you know, base. was because when salsa started in, in New York, it wasn't a genre either. It was um, Wawanko, Bomba, Plena, even like Cumbia. Like, you know, those bands were playing all these, what they considered to be different kinds of music. Son, uh, you know. Uh, Roomba. Mm-hmm. Each track was like, you know, if you look at those old records, like beside the yeah. names of the songs, it'll say the genre. <laughs> yeah, they considered yeah, yeah. those different genres. I love that. Yeah. And then at some point, that all became salsa to us. But that's not, and I, so I wondered if that was going to happen to Global Base, but I don't, it's not because, you know, it's not in one place. Yeah. And that's the, the nature of it. Salsa happened because it, it was all these people in New York mixing these things they like together. Yeah. But, you know, baile funk is still baile funk in Brazil. It's not global bass, you know. Yeah. Reggaeton is reggaeton. Yeah. So. Yeah, I think maybe we'll never know. I think that, and I think, again, that's maybe just being a DJ and just living, you know, in a kind of, where everything's so marketed, you got to put something in a title so it can be, or in a genre so it can yeah. be easily sold. And yeah. maybe this can be something that just exists and yeah. enjoyed and it goes on and then it changes and ebbs and flows. But it's yeah. also just like a, becoming a more natural thing. Like, as you say, like, it's not as weird as it used to be for a DJ to play multiple genres of music in one night, you know? And, like, also there's still so much cross-pollination between these genres. Like, people are listening to, you know, J Balvin's biggest hit was probably Mi Gente, right? And Mi Gente was originally an Afrobeat song from France that he heard, I guess, and or someone bought the track and sang on top of it, you know, and then put the original artist on as a feature. Yeah. And they had some chick named Beyonce jump on and do some stuff. Oh, I heard of it. Yeah, you heard about that? <laughs> <laughs> Wait, are you saying, did you seriously, you just heard about it? Honestly, like I just heard that I was uh, mixing our new song in the studio the other day and the, the engineer was like pulling tracks for like reference, you know, like, oh, let's see how this one sounds like, how, where's the level of the vocals in this track? And he, and he pulled out the Beyonce version. I was like, oh yeah, Beyonce did a version of me, didn't they? Bro. Like, I didn't really know about that. 
Yo, dude. <laughs> Me and John are laughing because that. All right. In case of emergency. Okay. It's like that. I need a Latin cut to play for these, you know, middle yeah. of the road people. No, yeah, I that's do that the one. too. That's, but I, that's, no, but I just play mi gente. I play the Beyonce. All they want is the boom, 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 boom. Yeah, <laughs> I play the Beyonce right now. Always like gets that always goes off. Just like I, if I ever played Despacito, I'm not playing the Justin Bieber version. Oh fuck no, 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 no. no, no. I actually I played <laughs> last night. It. I played last night, but it was for like a private corporate party. That's oh, yeah. that's the, that's the other side of King <laughs> King most. So all right, usually at the end of every episode, I always ask, oh, you know, if you had to play one song to get someone hyped and what would it be, but you have such a really dope body of work that like, is like 10 years, 10 years plus now. Mm. What would be like, hey, give an example of what Upper Andy does, like remix wise. Let's say, mm. what would be, what's like a track you think like, all right, this is my baby. I really love this. This is the one that I'm going to take to my grave. The one that is oldest that I still play regularly is this remix of a band called... AJ Holmes and the Hackney Empire. They were like a London-based Sukus band. And I remixed the song. It's called Freudian Slip. It's a remix of Sukus music, which is Congolese, you know, guitar music. And, you know, Sukus music is also the root of Colombian champeta, which I've I spent a lot of time in Colombia on the coast, and champeta is like the vibe down there. So that was like, for me, such an amazing, like the, I played that song the first time I went down to Carnival and I didn't realize the connection that they had to Congolese music. So I just played it because I had just made the remix probably, I don't know, like that year. And the response was just off the hook. And I was like, wow, you know, they love this. And it's just a song, you know, that, I don't know, it just has such a feel-good vibe. The original, the melodies are beautiful, and I still play it. You know, I played it uh, two nights ago in Tucson, and uh, it always goes off. Oh, so. man. But, and I don't think a lot of DJs play it. Yeah, you got to wait for the second drop. Okay. <laughs> wait for the drop, dude. Wait for the second drop. The first drop's a little disappointing, but the second <laughs> drop goes off. So I feel like maybe DJs haven't realized that. Like, <sighs> I play that song still, and people go off. Yeah, it's really a, it's a go-to stuff. It's a special. Yeah. One, one more time for our listeners. What's it called again? Uh, it's the Freudian Slip, the Uproot Andy remix by uh, AJ Holmes. Yeah. Yeah, I love it, man. I'm going to go check it out because I don't know it, man. Yeah, cool, man. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Uproot Andy. You really, you came with the academic guns today. So thank you very much, man. I appreciate <laughs> it, dude. Thanks for having You're me. You're a treasure, man. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Opening set, King Mo's, John Reyes, and um, our dude, Uproot Andy. Thank you so much. All right, peace.